0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Yeah, thanks for having us in here this morning. Uh, Honestly, it's a privilege to be uh, preaching another continent. Uh, I grew up in a pretty poor family. Um, uh, My dad, um, just for the first time, went to another continent. He's 50. He went to Europe last year for the first time. And it was like a really big deal, and that uh, I'd be in Africa, um, this side of the world, preaching. It really is amazing. It's a privilege. Um, I know now, you know, I, I planted a church. We've sent out three church planners since then. They're all doing amazing. And you could look at that and go, this guy's got this stacked spiritual resume. He's doing stuff, preaching on different continents, church planning. Uh, but honestly, um, I walked in all the way the way a lot of you guys walked in today. I walked into a church very similar to this, uh, feeling very similar to how you feel coming in today. I didn't know what to expect. I actually felt like I shouldn't have been there, felt scared. I walked in as a man full of uh, anger and lust and pride and fear and insecurity. Uh, I didn't know who I was. My parents were divorced at a young age and um, uh, just a really, really broken situation. And I I came to church, honestly, for the wrong reasons. I was trying to date a girl who I shouldn't have been dating. Who became my wife. Uh, Honestly, I was there to, to, honestly, it's amazing now. Yeah, we've been married 13 years. It's amazing. But, but, But I walked in to try to sleep with her and manipulate her, if I'm honest. I was literally at church for the wrong reasons. Uh, you know, 17, 18 years old, around 19, uh, I came to know Jesus for the first time. And a guy got up and preached. Uh, An evangelist guy from Australia came in, and and he said, Jesus didn't just die to forgive you of your sins. Uh, He died that you might be adopted by God the Father. And I found that that the the acceptance I had craved and looked for my entire life was available to me. Uh, What I looked for in women, or I looked for in sports, or I looked for in in standing whatever it was, the thing I craved for my parents actually had. Um, through Jesus. And that began, uh, to, to me, I didn't have a church, I didn't have church baggage, I had no church background, I had a nominal Catholic background, and um, uh, my family is kind of Irish Catholic, my dad had ten brothers and sisters, so uh, they were very Irish Catholic, my meme my and my, my my Pepe had an amazing sex life from when I, from when I gather, um, so, been told to be naughty, it's probably, maybe that's what you're looking for, uh, grandparents sex jokes, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> Kind of nominal Catholic background. We go Christmas, Easter, that kind of thing. and um, So I didn't have that baggage. And So the gospel was good news to me. Yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I had a father now, and I had a new record. I, I did a lot of bad stuff, and, um, and, and the reality that, that Jesus could forgive me and accept me and delight in me and, and give me a, a new name, and all this stuff was, like, really, really amazing. And then I went into ministry, um, and I went to Bible college. And Bible college is kind of like seminary. Some people call seminary cemetery. Um, and and, and I was like, by the way, it's really good to go to Bible college. It's, it's good to, to know what you believe, like he was talking about. So that's not a bad thing. But um, for me, I was in a space where I, over time, I was a pastor, and I felt like my, I was trying to go through the motions of my faith. And I felt like I was kind of acting like the older brother and the prodigal son. I was, I was working at the house, but I didn't love the father, or I, didn't, I wasn't feeling that love, and I had forgotten that he loved me. And for all intents and purposes, I had forgotten the gospel. And so today, what I want to do, being with you all for a little while, is to remind you of the gospel. I don't want to tell you a new thing. I want to tell you uh, the thing. It might be, by the way, it may be new to you. It was new to me that day. So some of you need to hear this for the first time. And it's good news that we believe is true. However, for some of you, I don't want you to just write this off and go, oh, it's the gospel. Heard it a million times before. I want you to go, man, it's, it's one thing to know it up here, but are you walking in it right here? Are, you, are your hands engaged in the gospel? Is your heart Living in the space of the gospel, experiencing the gospel, experiencing Jesus. So I want to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing, he says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, brothers, and sisters of the gospel. By the way, Corinth is in modern day Greece. Uh, two years ago, I was in Greece, and there's really signs to Corinth uh, on the freeway. It's crazy. This way to Corinth, it's a real place with real people. And these people, just so you know, had very jacked up, crazy backgrounds. Uh, some of them were temple prostitutes who got saved. Some of them, I, when, I, when I was a college pastor, I had to counsel uh, young couples not to, to, to have sex, not to sleep together before they were married. They were like counseling people who dabbled in orgies from time to time. Okay? So is that naughty enough, orgies? is that, is that crazy? Right? They, they, had, uh, they, they were divided. There was all this stuff going on. They, they came from this really broken background. So a lot of times I think we think the Bible's old-fashioned. It doesn't speak to now. No, they, were, they had some wild stuff going on. And Paul goes, Jesus is better than that. And, and, he, and he's meaning what they are. So to those brothers and sisters, so they had come into the church, they had heard the gospel, they had wild backgrounds, ancient Greece, uh, pagan as it gets. Uh, He says, I preached the gospel to you, which you received, so they believed in it, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, the most important thing I told you is what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So what I want you to see here is Paul is writing to people who are already Christians. He calls them brothers and sisters. New Testament, that's reserved for Christians. He says, I already preached this to you. He says, you already received this. He says, you're standing in this. Okay? So why would Paul the Apostle, father to this church, he already knows he hear the gospel, why is he preaching again to them? Why is he reminding them of the gospel? And I think it's because this church struggles with what one author calls gospel amnesia. Because it, so often we forget who we are, where we are, where we are going. We lose sight of what is real, outwardly. What God's doing in the world. We lose sight of what is real for what we feel. A story we tell ourselves. Uh, we, we live in a. We lose sight of the gospel, and something else seems bigger. Our circumstances seem bigger than the truth of the gospel. Now, my son, uh, recently he. Um we had a a campfire night, we did a bonfire, and he was telling a scary story. He he goes okay, I want to tell a scary story now, Dad, and he's seven and so it's a big deal. And uh starts telling the scary story and he could tell he hadn't really thought it through because the scary story was basically what was going down in front of us. He's like, There was three kids at a fire. One was named Clive. He was seven. He was really tough and good at baseball. You know, he's like going through, he was like, Okay, fuck, I know who this guy is, and I don't know about the details of the story. And, uh, and, and he goes, there was a shed with a monster in it. And, uh, and then there was a shed right behind us. And, so I, and I slapped the shed. Boom. He's like, oh! And I was like, bro, it's your story, bro. Like, you, you got scared from your own story. And, and we can laugh at that. We do that all the time. We tell ourselves stories all the time. God's not looking out for me. That's not true. We made that up. That's not in the Bible. God doesn't love me. That's not true. He loves me so much, he sent his son to die for you. I'll always be enslaved to sin. That's not true. The enemy told you that, and you loved it, and you grabbed it and hung on to it. And so, 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 so we just need to know that I think we struggle with this, too. We forget the gospel for honest. And I don't think Christians forget the actual facts of the gospel, but I think we forget the implications of it for our lives. Here's what I mean. If you walk around with guilt all the time and you assume that there is a sin you can never be forgiven for, And you have forgotten the gospel that Jesus died for all of your sins, past, present, and future. I guess if I'm facing you guys, past, present, and future. If you're striving to impress people all the time and earn their approval, some of you guys and gals are enslaved to the approval of people. You want everyone, young guys, you want want people to tell you you look dope, you look amazing. Social media, you look awesome. You want a guy, a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Some some, some of you guys, as life goes on, then you want the approval of uh, your boss, and, uh, and we can go on and on and on, um, but, but, but you go crazy trying to get the approval of people because you've forgotten adoption, that you've approved of by the only person who matters in the universe, God, who's now your Father, which we'll get into in a second. When we give into temptation and sin, we're forgetting that on the cross Jesus died to free us not only from the penalty of our sin, but the power of our sin, not just the punishment we deserve for sinning, but, 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 but that it no longer has power over us. And so you might be thinking this morning, Andy, I already know the gospel, I know your average Christian forgets the gospel, but I'm a legit Christian, I'm a life changer, we talk about the gospel all the time, but I would argue that even a legit Christian can forget the gospel. And Second Timothy, at the end of the letter, he's talking, this is the last letter that we have that Paul wrote before he died. He's writing to a son in the faith, Timothy. A, 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 I don't care who your mentor was. It wasn't as good as the Apostle Paul. Personally mentored by the Apostle Paul in gospel ministry. And he says this to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David is preached in my gospel. And so, if a disciple of the Apostle Paul needs to be reminded of the gospel, how much more do we, as run-of-the-mill 21st-century disciples in San Diego or Cape Town, need to be reminded of it? And so, my big idea today is this: is that as a church and you personally, as a person in this church, maybe outside this church, you might be missing out on the joy God is calling you to experience because of your circumstances, because you've lost sight of the truth that matters—the gospel. For all intents and purposes, you may have forgotten the gospel. And when the church forgets the gospel, it's a disaster. It becomes, a, the church becomes a hypocritical, judgmental, insecure, guilty, sad bunch of religious weirdos. And I think that breaks Jesus' heart. Is that naughty enough, weirdos? So I want to remind you quickly of core gospel truths that ask the Spirit to make them fresh to you today. I'm not going to tell you things you've never heard before. By the way, if they are the fir- this is the first time you've heard them, we believe this is true and it's awesome. But if you've never heard this before, and I would encourage you to believe them today for the first time. But if you've never heard it before, please don't, or if you have heard it before, please don't brush this off. Go, man, am I experiencing this? Have I forgotten this practically? So I just want to tell you a couple truths. The first truth is this. Number one, remember that you are justified. Remember you're justified. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul says this. For our sake he made him to be sin. God made Jesus sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. One theologian called this the great exchange. And the idea is this, is that you and I, we live a, a broken, jacked up, messed up, sinful life. We might not want to admit it, but it's true. And, and if, you, if you doubt that, again, and our sin's not just what we do, it's word, thought, and deed. Okay, So maybe you look at your deeds and you go, you know, Andy, I, I, I'm a pretty good Capetonian. I don't use straws at coffee shops. Uh, I I take start, stop, start showers. I mostly help old people across the street. I'm not racist. I'm growing and loving all different types of people. I've put away old habits. I have. I'm i I'm I'm starting to look like on paper on the outside. But, but there's the things we do. But then there's also, which are good. We want to grow in that stuff. But there's your heart. Like why? A lot of people tell me as a pastor sometimes, it's kind of funny. They say, um, you know, my actions don't matter because God sees my heart. I had a guy tell me one time, uh I, I, man, I know I'm committing adultery, but, but God knows my heart. That should be terrifying. You mean your heart full of lust and, and hatred for your wife? Jesus said, I overflow the heart that mouth speaks. And if you doubt that, you're like, no, 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 bro, I'm, I'm great. I just want you to think if everyone in this room could hear your last 24 hours of thoughts. You, you sticking around in the room for the, <laughs> be awkward, right? Because you're weird. We're all weird. We're sinful without Jesus. we think anger, We think angry things. We think judgmental things. We think lustful things. We think proud things. We judge people. We go, oh my God, look at her wearing that. You know, we never say it out loud, but, but that's where, you see what I'm saying? You judge all the time, it gets weird. We are sinful. We don't love God or people as they deserve to be loved, and we, and we in our hearts reject God. And oftentimes it's with our hands. tired. It, so, so, so we have this record of sin since we are little that's been built up over time. And then Jesus comes at the right time. He enters human history. He lives a life that you and I cannot live, a perfect sinless life. When he was a little, when he was a toddler, he shared his toys. When he gets older, he moves into puberty we can, we can guess that he would have been tempted by things that adolescents are, peer pressure, approval of man, even sexual temptation. Even. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, but did, he didn't sin, but he was tempted in every way. And as time goes on, he could have had the, he was tempted, we know, to, um, to build an identity for himself like a lot of uh, young men are with their work. As Satan said, hey, make yourself a big deal. Be the, be the king of the universe. Do it my way, though. So Jesus lives his perfect life. And then, and then so, so here's what happens is, is when we believe in Jesus, when we ask God to count, to make what Jesus did on the cross count for us, in that instant moment, Jesus is treated as if he had lived my sinful, broken, jacked up life on the cross. He's punished for my sin. And in the instant that I put my faith in him, I am then credited with his perfect record. I had a friend in high school named Rosano Rosano. He was, a, he was first in our class. I was not first in our class. I was what the kids call dumb. I wanted to get good enough grades to uh, play sports, uh, and play sports good enough so that girls would want to talk to me at parties, uh, and then go to college, kind of repeat the whole thing. I had no academic goals. And, uh, and I want you to imagine that at the end of our senior year, Rosano Rosano and I switched names on our transcripts, and I'm credited with the perfect transcript of Rosano Rosano, and Rosano Rosano is credited with my transcript. To Rosano Rosano, I would say, good luck. But to me, I now have access to places and spaces I have no business being in, because of what he did. It's the same thing with Jesus. I now have access to a father I have no business having. I get to sit on the lap of the king of the universe. Everything that's under his feet is under my feet. I'm now a co-heir with Jesus. And now God the Father treats me like he treats his own son, Jesus. In the Gospels, Jesus says this, the Father says at Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well pleased in Greek is infinitely pleased. I could not be more pleased than I am with this son right now. He now says that over me. Freaking Me. You, We don't deserve that, but we have it in Jesus. And so, so, so here's the reality is that because of Jesus, we now have this right standing with God, that in the quorum of heaven we have been acquitted, and it's amazing. Now when we lose sight of this, we start to think that Jesus kind of helped us out. The analogy I would use is I had a friend who worked at a really fancy restaurant, and what he could do is he could get you bumped up the waiting list, and he could get you a table, and then he could get you free dessert. But you had to pay for your own meal. The, the heavy lifting's on you, and we can kind of think that um, right now in America, um, there's a sport that's much better than soccer. And if you're a Liverpool fan, it's a good time to transition over with the heartbreak you're feeling right now. The NBA, uh, and so there's, the American basketball playoffs are going on. and uh, And right now, there's a big debate. Right now, uh, probably the best player of his generation, LeBron James, is coming to the end of his career. People are asking, who's the best player, basketball player? In NBA history, is it LeBron James? Is it Michael Jordan? And Michael Jordan, uh, he actually scored a career-high 69 points on a 25 years ago. And uh, in this one night, and, and, and so in this game where he scored his career-high 69 points, uh, he had a teammate named Stacey King who scored one point. And, uh, and that night, uh, a sports reporter went up to Stacey King and said, hey, listen, uh, Stacy, what was it like to be, on the te- uh, to be on Michael Jordan's team and to be playing alongside him in a game where he scored his career-high 69 points, Stacey? He said, you know, Jim, I'll, I'll never forget the night where Michael Jordan and I scored 70 points together. <laughs> now, that's a funny story, but here's the thing. We often think that we're Michael Jordan and Jesus is Stacey King. We're doing the heavy lifting. We're keeping God happy with us. We have to keep his love. We have to keep our status with him. And here's the thing, no amount of prayer or Bible study or evangelism or serving the poor or obedience can justify you. It's only Jesus. You can be in church for years and miss this. I, I knew a woman, I, I had a, a, a girl in my college group, and she had been in church for a long time. She was a worship leader, and she, didn't think, and she said, I think I'm going to leave the church because I can't keep my salvation. I can't keep it up. I can't keep it up anymore. I can't do it. I said, Who said you have to keep it up? First Peter 1 says that, that God keeps your salvation as an inheritance in heaven, He keeps it for you. And, and, and she, she ended up having an amazing experience with the gospel. I think she, be, she got saved. It was a really awkward night when she shared her testimony. She'd been leading worship for two years. She was like, I got saved last month. But it was cool. And then, super excited about that, she started to talk to her mom about this. Her mom was a church accountant. Her mom had been in evangelical churches. Evangelical just means gospel person, literally what the word means. Churches that are on paper supposed to preach the gospel. And she'd been in services, Wednesday night Bible studies, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, on and on it goes. And, uh, and her daughter comes in one day and goes, mom, I can't believe it. I can know that my relationship with Jesus is perfect and it's secure and and he loves me and he'll never leave me and I'm righteous and, and, and I'm, and I'm completely forgiven of everything I did past, present and future, but that doesn't make me want to leave him. It makes me want to love him more. And I actually don't want, I want to sin less and she's excited and she's rattling off all of this news. And her mom said, do you really think that's true that you can know that for sure? And then this, this this woman shared with her daughter that, that about 30 years prior, when she was in college, she had an abortion. And to this day, even though she sat in thousands of sermons, church out, she never knew she was righteous. And good news came to her. And so I'm going to say, do you really believe that? Do you, do you walk around? Do you still feel guilty over one big... And again, a lot of times with guilt, where we miss justifications in one of two areas. We struggle with guilt usually when one of two things is true in our life. We have one big sin, like... Abortion, adultery, a relation, a divorce. We feel like it was our fault. A, a relationship that we really, we know we were wrong. We hurt someone. And we go, God can't forgive it. It's too big. Or we have a quote-unquote small sin that we do a lot: lust, anger, pride. In my case, gluttony. If I'm honest, I have to pray through it. <laughs> it's a real thing on this trip in Cape Town. It's a foodie heaven. I, I love it. I have, to, I have to. go. Man, am I am I trying to find comfort in this instead of Jesus? And uh, and so. And so we have that we go, oh, it's just, I, this has just happened too many times. It's not that it's too big, but cumulatively, right? I like to sweep my sin under the rug, and now I'm tripping over the rug. And so that's where we can end up. And so for you, do you really believe that you are justified? That He can forgive your sin, the big ones and the little ones. It's all big, but He is bigger than it. So we're justified in the eyes of God, the judge, and the courtroom of heaven, but more than that happened. Because of what Jesus did in His life, death, resurrection, and ascension, He's also made a way for us to be adopted. By God the Father. So number two, remember that you are adopted. Galatians chapter 4 says this. The Apostle Paul writing about this idea. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So that's describing our justification again. That at the right time, Jesus entered human history. We celebrate it at Christmas. He comes into the world. And when he comes into the world, he's born uh, of, a, of a woman, Virgin Mary. Uh, and he's born under the law. And he fulfills it perfectly. He obeys the law on our behalf. He redeems us from the law. I don't have to obey, I don't obey the law to, to, to get a right relationship with God. And then it says this, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And, and by the way, sonship, it says here, because you are his sons. If you guys are ladies here today and you're like, I don't want to be a son, right? Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm marvelous. I don't want to be a man, right? Right. Um, Sons in a patriarchal culture were the favorite child, the, the child of privilege, okay? The firstborn son was the child of privilege. What this passage is saying is that in the gospel, God, the sovereign creator and king of the universe, is now your father and you're now his privileged child, okay? For men and women, if they're in Jesus. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a privileged child. And since you are his privileged child, God has also made you an heir. Again, it is a wonderful thing to be acquitted by God the judge. If you've ever been on trial, it's nice to be acquitted. But it's an even better thing to be adopted. That judge goes, you know, not only are you not going to prison, I'm adopting you into my family. And you have a seat at the table. So many of us have, have longed to hear someone our entire lives, anyone tell us that they know us and love us. And we have one who knows us better than we know ourselves and loves us more than we love ourselves And this God. But so many of us don't rest in God's delight over us, and we try to prove ourselves to people. And when we try to prove ourselves to people, we get into a lot of trouble. We do a lot of crazy things when we're enslaved to the approval of people. Uh, probably the craziest example of this I ever saw was I, I was in the United States military, the United States Air Force, uh, for one month. And essentially what happened was they said, listen, bro, you are way too tough for the military. Um, it's just not fair to the other guys. And so. And by too tough, I mean they said, you have asthma, and you can't have asthma and be in the Air Force. And so they sent me home. But at 18, I joined the military, and I get there. And when you get there, they want to break you down to build you back up. If you've seen military movies where they have kind of basic, Save it Private Ryan, Full Metal Jacket, that type of thing. And you get there, and so initially, they want to just intimidate you, break you down to build you back up. So you get out, and they, they get angry about things that there's no way a, 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 like a fairly sane adult person could get angry about. Okay? Um, like literally, like you walk because they're trying to intimidate you. A guy literally said, You're going to eat a sandwich like that? They're trying to intimidate all the recruits. They're like, What? You know? You're going to walk like. It's like, are you, how, how do you get through marriage? Like, this is crazy. If you actually care, that guy eats his sandwich. Like, it's, it's tough out there, Chief. It gets a lot harder. But again, it's a ploy. They're trying to intimidate you. And, uh, and so they're looking for things to point out to call you out for. And it was about one in the morning. We were so tired. Um, we're going to go to bed around three. We're going to be woken up at five. We didn't know that. So uh, and I'm screaming at you. Um, and so about one, we're exhausted. And we're all in line, right? At attention. We've been there for a few hours, and, uh, and they're looking for things. And, and typically, before you get to basic, um, your recruiter will tell you, "Hey, here's what you're allowed to bring and, and what you can't bring. Here's what you can wear and what you can't wear. Um, here's what you're, how much hair you can have and and, and not have. And then they, they one of the things they talk about is facial hair. And they go, "Listen, when you get there, you need to be clean shaven, right? Like straight up proper gentleman. Uh, so no no five o'clock shadow, no hipster beard, no 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 uh, no Durban flavor saver." Uh, no Elvis, you know, sideburns. And so we're all in line, and, and, and the T.I. is walking up and down, kind of smelling you weirdly, inspecting you. And he goes, what is this? And he points at a guy in front of me. And, uh, and the guy had some sideburns. And he said, that's it. Everyone get your razors. Get in the latrine, and we're going to shave our faces. Shave your whole face. Shave your whole face. And we're freaking out. We're all 18-year-old children running around trying to get our razors. And here's the thing. We already showed up clean shaven. Uh, most of us, except for this, you know, numbnuts. And, and we're ready to go. And so we get in there, and everyone, he's just, shave your, and everyone's, it's like, you know, a horror movie, it's like blood everywhere, because there's no hair, we're just cutting our face open. And uh, and he keeps yelling, shave your whole face, and we're frantic, and I'll never forget it. He's just, shit, and he just goes, what the heck? And uh, I said heck, for the record. um, And he looks, and a guy shaved his eyebrows off. Which is just not a great look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't think he gets up every day and goes, man, I got to get, get kitted out. I got to get ready for work. I got to shave my eyebrows, get fresh for the day. Cup of coffee, shaved eyebrows. Classic gentleman. Why do he do that? Because he wanted the approval of that TI in that moment. And, and when, we, when we want the approval of people, we do crazy things. We do destructive things. For you, you might be obsessed with social media, getting retweeted or liked. You're obsessed with it. Maybe it's getting a boyfriend or a girlfriend Uh, or a spouse, and so you compromise your purity, and you're you're sleeping with someone, and you know in your heart it's morally wrong, but you're giving yourself away because you just want someone to desire you, to want you, to tell you you're special. I see this with me. I see this where, where people get dangerously close or do commit adultery. Adultery is rarely about sex. It's about looking to a spouse to give you, but only Jesus can, and the spouse can't give it to you, so then you go try to find someone else you can. Fill this hole that only Jesus can. And so you see a person 8 to 10 hours a day, and they see the best part of you, the dressed up version of you, the, the part of you that doesn't need their underwear picked up, doesn't leave a mess, that doesn't argue with them about dumb things like directions. That's funny, but they see the best version of you, and it's a lie. They think they tell you you're amazing. I, I had a friend of mine, one of my best friends, he committed adultery. His wife literally looks like a model. I have a, another woman who said about this woman, she's the prettiest woman I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, and, and he... he Connected with this other woman who was not pretty. And I was like, bro, like, and again, it's, it's like if it's a physical thing, and he, and he just said, Andy, like, it wasn't about a physical thing. I just wanted someone to tell me I was getting a good job. I wanted to feel important. I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel encouraged. I felt like she was always tearing me down. His fault, by the way, I'm not bailing him out, but I'm saying when we live for the approval of people, if he didn't need his wife to say that, it'd be a gift and it would be a nice bonus, but if he knew what the father said over him, he wouldn't need his wife or another woman to say it. This just destroy our lives when we're enslaved for the approval of people. We don't get our adoption. Maybe for you it's getting your parents who may or may not even be alive to be proud of you. Maybe it's living up to their expectations if they're around. Or it's, it's proving them wrong for leaving you or for saying awful things about you or abusing you. You're constantly anxious about what they think. Maybe for you it's your boss at work. It's getting the promotion at work, getting the attaboy or the attagirl. And you overwork and neglect your family and one day your children won't even know you. Because I just got to get people to see that I'm awesome at work. So do you spend a lot of time trying to get people to delight in you? Again, then you've probably forgotten the gospel, the gospel of adoption. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, says this when he describes adoption. I love this. He says, the only person in the universe who really matters delights in you. All the people whose approval we slave away for, he created those people. How much bigger is he than them? And we have it. This idea of God God as Father might not seem like good news if you had a bad dad, but this dad is a perfect dad. The reason you know you had a bad dad is because you had a a hole in your your heart that was shaped for God the Father. The best earthly father, even the best ones, the best they can do is point you to, with their life, what the Father is like. The true Father. So maybe you didn't have a dad to protect you, who paid attention to you, who sacrificed for you, who bestowed identity on you, or who had a vision for your life. I want to say you do now. He's the king of the universe. That is amazing news. Again, God demands perfect righteousness for salvation, but on this side of the gospel, in his family, he enjoys and delights in our imperfect, shoddy work done with mixed motives as we seek to please him as kids. Has that hit your walk with God? Has that hit your prayer life? My daughter, uh, Olivia, um, she, uh, she's three now. About a year ago, she was two. Um... Kind of, I guess that makes sense. Uh, she was one and a half or something. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> really deep point, you know. <laughs> it's a year ago. Uh, and she, she, re- she said her first words about a year and a half ago, whenever that was. And her first words were milk. But she did not say milk, okay? I've heard really, I've heard people say milk in a really great way. She said mook. They <laughs> mook. Uh, and, uh, and, and again, I've heard, I was in the UK last week. They have glorious accents. They're like, milk. It's quaint and beautiful. It was a terrible way to say milk, but when she said mook, when she said her first words, I got the phone out. And her brothers were saying, Liv, say it again. Say it again. Say, Dad, say milk again, mama. Say milk again. It wasn't that it was the greatest saying of milk of all time. It's that she's my daughter. She's my wife's daughter. She's their sister. And so uh, it's, it's not that the word's amazing. It's who sang the word. It's someone we delight in, and so we delight in her in that moment even though it's not the best it could be. She'll say way better words than milk in her future. God knows the future version of you, and he, he, you're going to be amazing. He loves you, but he also loves the you now that does not have it together. That doesn't look like Jesus completely yet. Another thing I love about Olivia, so when you pray, oh, sorry, what I'm trying to say is when you pray, you have a God who loves you. He, he does, he's not like, you know, Jesus died to cover all your sin, but your mind wanders, so don't pray. No, he is grace. He's, he's your dad. Another thing I love about Olivia, she'll, she'll do this thing where she'll say, Daddy, show me, show me. And she wants to show, she, she's saying, I want to show you uh, something. You know, she'll take me to her room and say, hey, I want to show you this thing I made, or I made my bed on my own, or I, I dressed up my little dolly, or whatever it is. And she's so excited. There's other times she'll say, Daddy, show, show me, show me, show me. she's scared. And she wants to show me something she's overwhelmed by. And I got to say, to this day, I'm sure it's going to change at some point. I hope not, but it probably will. There is nothing she has showed me when she was afraid that I was afraid of. It's nothing that she was overwhelmed by, that I was overwhelmed by. At the same time, just because I'm not overwhelmed by it, I don't ignore it. I, it matters a lot to me because it matters to her. And so, yes, you, when you pray to God, there are a lot of things He's not overwhelmed by them, but they matter to Him because you matter to Him. A lot of people want to know how do I get better at prayer. All you got to do is, that, you know, you have a dad who loves you, who likes to hear from you, and talk to him about what you're thinking about. You, go, you know what, Dad? I, I'm not good enough to pray about religious stuff yet, but I'm worried about work right now. Can I talk to you about that? Can you help me see what you see? I'm worried about Does that make sense? Uh, so big. Um, so do you really believe that God the Father delights in you? And is that bigger than what people think of you? Because if it is, it's beautiful news. This is the best news in the world. And so here's this reality. We've been justified and our guilt has been taken away by God the Son. We've been adopted and are now delighted in by God the Father. And lastly, this gospel says that we are being transformed by God the Holy Spirit. The last point is this, is remember you are being sanctified. You're justified. You're made right with God. You're adopted and delighted in love. God sings over you. He's quieted with love for you. But also he's transforming you. Uh, Romans 6, next, next slide, says this. It says, for we know that our old self was crucified. So the old self, the angry, lustful, jerk guy that walked into that church, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, who met Jesus, me, that guy died on the cross with Jesus. He's no longer alive. He no longer, sin no longer has power over my life. The only power it has is when I forget that it doesn't have power, when I believe a lie. It so says it was crucified so that our, we would no longer be ruled by sin. Our body wouldn't be ruled by sin. It uh, might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So the only power sin has in my life is when sin, my flesh, or the enemy tell me that I have to sin. So, 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 sometimes I'll believe the lie. Hey, you believe this lie. Hey, you're a pervert. You'll always be a pervert. You're a bitter, angry person. You'll always be this. You're, you're a drug addict. That's what you'll always be. Your, your, your parents were divorced. You're going to get divorced. Your dad cheated on your mom. You're going to cheat on your wife. And, um, and and when we believe that, uh, that's the only power it has. But when you go, actually, I don't have to be that way. Um, uh, about 100, 150 years ago, uh, when I was, I was recently at a, uh, not 150 years ago, last week, <laughs> I was at a uh, game park. Some, uh, we were in Durban. and we went to Nambiti, uh, the game park up there, and the generosity of some friends. We were allowed to go. And when we were up there, man, I was, uh, we got very close to an elephant, uncomfortably close to an elephant. Dumbo's cute. They are not that cute when they're close. They're amazing. They're awesome. They're breathtaking, but they are scary. I was like, this could flip our Range Rover. And, uh, and there was a point where it got really quiet. It was behind a uh, like the bush or the trees, and I was just terrified. I was going to pop out like, surprise, you're dead. <laughs> I was just kind of nervous. Big, powerful creatures. But, 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 so, so about 150 years ago, uh, when the circus was really taking off, 150, 100 years ago, um, they would have uh, elephants, and they had to train them, because elephants were a big part of the circus back then. There wasn't animal rights groups and stuff like that. And so um, there was a uh, they had to decide how to train them. So they found that the easiest way to train them was from birth. And so when an elephant was a baby, uh, they, would, uh, they would nail the baby down with a stake, okay, like a stake you'd nail into the ground, not a piece of meat, like a literal stake. Um, this guy looked confused, i was just making sure. Um, so they would nail it down with like a, kind of like a railroad peg type thing, and, and again, it had to be a really big stake to keep the elephant down. Elephants are big, even a baby elephant, right, it's huge, right, it, it, would, be much, it would be way big enough to, to hold us down. Uh, but over time, as the elephant grows, when it becomes a full-grown adult, it has six times the strength it has when it's a baby. And so uh, what they would do is, again, man, trying to create a stake for an animal the size of a full-grown elephant, it's impossible. You need like four trucks just for the, the stake. So what they would do, they found that was really inefficient, but they found that they didn't need a very big stake because this baby elephant was trained early on, you're stuck here. You have a master. That master says when you get to go out and perform, that master says when you get to stand up and go, when you come back and lay down, that master says when you get to eat, and that master says, you're stuck here, and you're enslaved to him or her. And they, they would build that in. A mi- that mindset would be built in. And so when the elephant was full grown, they would nail them down with the baby stick, And they rarely had problems because the elephant learned early on, I'll always be this way. I'm a slave. It was an issue of the mind. A lot of you guys, the enemy tells you, you'll always be X. The gospel says you're not a slave anymore. Your slavery is in your mind. It's when you believe you have to sin. Actually, the the old you died on the cross. The only power sin has over you is when you believe the lie, that it has power over you. So you can go, actually, I don't have to do this. And I don't want to do this. Jesus is better. It's amazing. Um, Jesus connects with the spirit. He transforms you um, from the inside out. But here's the thing. It takes time. This is hard for us. Because we'll forget. We we fall back at old thinking patterns and belief patterns and and stories. and, and And we end up back in that space. It takes time. I was talking to a, a girl in our church, uh, and she was, she's been a Christian for like a year. And she was so frustrated with herself because she basically doesn't love God perfectly all the time. She's a type A personality. I want to be, be right. I want to be good. Not just righteous because of Jesus. I want to be righteous. You know, I want to be. It's like, that's awesome. You're going to be there one day. It's, you're, you're, you're a one-year-old Christian. You're a toddler. You're probably going to make some messes sometimes. You're probably not where you're going to be. Uh, God knows the future, of you and you're and you're lovely. You're amazing. You look like Jesus, but it's going to take a while, and so um, and so it takes time, but it will happen. Uh, I, there's a um, I love there's a drink called coffee in the United States, and uh, yeah, I know and I know in uh, Cape Town you guys are pretty big on coffee, but you guys are also big on tea, uh, and, and so here's the deal with me: I, I'm not a big tea guy. I've had more tea on this trip than in my entire life. Okay. Uh, but I know you guys are into tea, so I have a tea illustration. Just get on your level, you know, get you into it. Uh, but also, it does feel like coffee's taking off in Cape Town. The kingdom of God's advancing. It's beautiful, okay? So I just want to say I'm not ignorant to that, that reality. The kingdom of God's moving. Um, but, but here's the thing I want you to think about. It? If you drink black tea, okay, the minute you put a tea bag into the steaming, boiling water, what starts to happen? It starts turning into tea. Now, is it tea the minute the bag hits the cup. No, it's a, it's a hot water with a tea bag in it, right? Now here's what's interesting is when you put that tea bag into that mug, everything that it needs to become a cup of black tea is in that mug. But it's going to take time for the process to unfold for it to be what it's being transformed into. This is your reality with sanctification. It feels slower than you want it to, your transformation. You still struggle with jealousy and bitterness and lust and anger, and you've got to keep repenting, you keep turning to Jesus, keep getting help. But you're on his timeline, and he will get you where you need to be. You are being transformed. You will not stay what you are now. You will look like him one day. But you've got to have there's grace for that. Again, your dad's taking you by the hand, and he's slowly, he's disciplining you at times, and he's lovingly nurtured, but for your good, so that you might see a harvest of righteousness. Um, and so do you really believe Jesus can change you? Do you believe in the gospel of sanctification? And if you don't believe it slow, I just want to introduce you to one character from the Bible and then we'll close. There's a guy named Peter, the apostle Peter. But when we meet him, he's just Peter, the loudmouth fisherman. And when we meet him, he's really proud and brash and, you know, kind of a man's man, chest out, competitive, probably cussing a little bit, throwing fish around. I don't know what he's up to. He's crazy. Got a mother-in-law he can't stand. I mean, he's got a lot going on. Peter, not the most loving guy. And then uh, as time goes on, he starts walking with Jesus, and you think it, things are going well. And then he does things like um, he he asks, uh, "Hey, can I sit at your right hand? I want to be a big deal. When you're king, make sure I'm like co-king, vice president. And uh, and if you could uh, call down lightning on some of those people and kill them, that'd be nice too. He says some crazy thing. You're like, man, I don't think this is a good idea. Um, and, uh, but he wants a piece of the glory. And then, and then towards the end of Jesus' life, uh, when the end feels like it's near, Peter says, Jesus, I've got your back. No matter what, bro, right? I'm going to ride shotgun with you with, with, with a sword out, right? I'm thug life for you, Jesus. I'm right here. I've got your back, bro, to the death, bro. Live by the sword, die by the sword, bro. That's probably what he said in Aramaic. And so he just, he just makes this huge overpromise. And then a huge underdeliver. I was in uh, Tunisia. Where we're going to send a couple to Tunisia to do missions work. Hopefully, plant a church in the city of Tunis in northern Africa. And uh, it's amazing stuffs going on in that country. Um, recently, they experienced the Arab Spring, and uh, and they had a dictator that had been in charge for a long time, Ben Ali, and he was kicked out, and he moved to Saudi, like a lot of dictators do when they get <laughs> to post, he uh, get kicked out, and uh, and um, and their internet restrictions were lifted. And the second most. Uh, searched google question was who is jesus so there's this openness there to the gospel it's amazing it's beautiful and so we went there to meet with the team of people who are already on the ground doing evangelistic meetings they're seeing like a a muslim baptized a month and now they're trying to figure out how to do church because no one trusts each other because they want to get turned in it's very first century church very cool exciting and scary at the same time and uh, one of the things that we were talked about is 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 what it looks like to be persecuted and what it looks like to be put in a place where you may have to deny christ and, I, and I've always wondered, you know, if, if, if the threat of physical torture or imprisonment or the imprisonment of my family was on the table, could I still not deny Jesus? We know, and here's the thing. I've wondered, man, could I stand up to that? I don't know. I think the spirit gets you ready for that. What we know about Peter is that he didn't stand up to it. To Jesus's face. Like there's the denying Jesus part for all of us. He knew, he was his friend that he, he knew. He looked him in the eyes. Said, I don't know this man. After his thug life, I'll ride or die with you thing. Three times. And then he gets restored. And then he preaches at Pentecost. And then 3, 000, at least 3,000 people get saved. Jesus restores them. Feed my sheep. And you're like, oh my gosh, rock of the church. Peter, you're killing it right now. You're back on the grind. We love it, Peter. Israel's going crazy. Jerusalem's in a frenzy. We want more Peter to tell us about Jesus. It's taking off, and then about fifteen years later peter's we don't know the full story, but peter is um, he starts hanging with some guys who are denying Jesus again, and the book of galatians they they, they they deny the gospel and they, they 're teaching this this heresy, this racist heresy that you have to be Jewish to be saved and that you have to obey the law we just talked earlier about that that, that, that Jesus fulfilled the law for us they 're teaching that you have to obey the law and be Jewish to be saved. And Peter's hanging out with those guys, if not endorsing their teaching. And the apostle Paul has to correct him to his face. Now, if I, if, 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 uh, uh, MVP right here, coolest initials of all time, if MVP got up here and started preaching, man, you got to be Jewish and you got to be, um, you have to obey the law to be saved, right? Um, probably he needs to take some time off of being a pastor, right? Evangelist, like his gospel is no good. It's, it's legalism. It's bad. Um, I wouldn't let that guy be a greeter at my church if he was, you know, bringing the heat with, uh, hey, if you guys come in, you've got to obey the law. You're not welcomed in. God goes, oh, let's sort it out and keep him being an apostle. you got to see. He was a slow move. But what we know about Peter is how he, his life ended, according to church history, is he was crucified upside down with his wife. That there came a moment where he didn't want to be a big deal, and he was fine being a small deal, and he didn't run. He was a man who could stand for Jesus and not move, but it took a long time to get there. And some of you, this gospel of sanctification, it's taking a very long time. And I don't want to say it is, but it's happening. It's as certain as the tea turning into tea. It takes a while, but it's getting there. You will not be enslaved to lust forever. You will not be enslaved to anger forever. You will not be an addict forever. You will be like Jesus. It's just when, but we know how. It's through this gospel of Jesus and so as we close, I just want to say this. I'll hand over to, MV, to, to MVP. Um, what's happening, South Africa? Um, got a sweet accent. As I close, I just want to ask this question. Do you believe in the gospel of justification, do you, or do you walk around with guilt and shame? I want to ask, if that's where you're at, and you need to know today, Jesus is taking away your guilt. If you're struggling, man, get some prayer. Talk to someone. If, you, if you're here today, and, 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 and you're walking around thinking, I'm obsessed with what people think of me, and it's dominating my life. Kind of like Peter. You need to know that God the Father delights in you and that his delight matters more than the praise of man, which is so fickle. Are you here today and you think you'll never change? Do you think, I'll never change? You've lost sight of the gospel of sanctification. I want to put it in front of you. Jesus died to set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Would you experience that today?